And welcome to Wednesday. It is the post-midterms I'm Tired and Cranky podcast, but we do have some uh, great stuff for you today. I can't give you up-to-the-minute election results because we don't have them. No, our midterm elections are still a mess. We had problems with voting tabulation. We had problems in Pennsylvania in conservative counties with uh, election places, the polling places, running out of paper. How does that happen? You do this every two years. How do you not know? How are you not ready? One of my friends on Twitter posted a great line last night saying, you know, we sent a rocket into space to nudge an asteroid out of the way, but we can't run a damn election in a single day. It is maddening. Wisconsin still trying to figure out who won the uh, Senate seat. Arizona, Nevada still trying to figure it out. Georgia may go to a runoff. I can't even begin to start. I'm more distressed and more upset about Donald Trump's treatment of Ron DeSantis. And that really is the, uh, the, the most irritating thing to me today. I can deal with election losses because you can figure those out. But I can't understand how the titular head of the GOP is so terrified of a guy who's so good, such a winner, that he would rip his own party apart. Come on, Mr. Trump. You truly are better than that. And if you're not, then a lot of us are going to have a problem with you. So many things that we'll get to today. I I still can't believe Donald Trump brought uh, DeSantis's wife into this, saying that He's got some information that even Ron's wife doesn't have. Really, sir? Bad move. Really bad move. Uh, There's some other bad moves. I'm stunned by this, the coverage given to Sean Penn handing his Oscar. He has two Oscars. One of his two Oscars over to the president of Ukraine, Mr. Zelensky, President Zelensky, saying, Uh, Just uh, return it to me after you win the war. So he didn't give it to him. He kind of said, here, hang on to this. Really? Is that really a smart idea? Because, frankly, if I'm Vladimir Putin, I'm sending in a squad to try and get that Oscar and then do terrible things to it. But is that the best you can do, Sean Penn? Can't you just support the guy? Give him an Oscar. The video is really kind of funny to me with with uh, Zelensky looking at the Oscar and kind of looking at Sean Penn like, dude, I need planes and bombs and guns and ammo. I don't need your stupid Oscar for playing Harvey Milk. Crazy, right? Kamala Harris's husband told Democrats they better line up behind his wife when Joe Biden decides he's not going to run. Seriously? You need a little reality check there, Doug. I'm just saying. Uh, There was some more stupidity from the climate protesters in Australia. They glued themselves to a Andy Warhol Campbell soup art exhibit. Good for you guys. They're all mad about climate and uh, oil, fossil fuels, which is what's used to make the super glue that they used. Well done. If, um, if you thought the major firings were done in the high-tech world, Elon Musk's house cleaning 
at uh, te- at uh, Twitter is nothing compared to what Mark Zuckerberg's about to do with 11,000 going to be wiped out at Facebook Meta. Hmm. We did apparently avoid a rail strike after one of the big unions voted to pass the agreement, voted to approve the agreement. There's still one more that has to vote, so whether or not that gets held up is uh, anybody's guess. I'll tell you what. I'm going to wait. I'm going to hold my fire on my breakdown on the midterm elections because we still have so much data waiting to come in. And by the time this gets on the air, maybe all the questions are answered. So we'll do more of a deep dive on it on Thursday's show. And Friday, by the way, I'll be um, filling in for Rich Zioli on Talk Radio 1210 WPHD from 4 p.m. to 7 p.m. That is Veterans Day, special Veterans Day programming coming, and that'll happen on Zioli's show. So we'll get into some good stuff there in the aftermath of the midterms and whatever the hell is happening. I think we get the House. We're not going to know on the Senate probably until the runoff in Georgia. Anyone having a flashback? Anyone have a little deja vu there? Yeah, I am. Let's get into some great information. Dr. Michael Royson of the Cleveland Clinic has sent me a whole bunch of research, but I have questions I want to ask him about this uh, laboratory-grown blood and how it could be a game-changer in medicine and people dealing with uh, rare diseases. And the report out of uh, the publicly held SCI, they're a funeral home company. I think they make caskets, too. Uh, They're saying that um, deaths are way up, funerals are, are booming, and it's not due to COVID. And we'll talk about that, plus the latest research in the world of health and wellness. That's next on the Pure Opelka Podcast. It's time for our uh, weekly visit with Dr. Michael Roizen, world traveler and friend of this show. Dr. Roizen from the Cleveland Clinic. Last week he was in Israel. I have no idea where he is this week, but uh, he is uh, generously giving us his time to talk about health, wellness, living longer and living younger and it's all tied to the Great Age Reboot, Dr. Royson's new book. Welcome, my friend. Where are you? I'm in Lindhurst, Ohio, which is just outside Cleveland at my uh, normal working environment at the Cleveland Clinic. I, I'm here Monday through thir- through Wednesday, and then Thursday I'm downtown at Executive Health, so people can see me uh, individually if they want there, or on Fridays I see patients at Lindhurst. And we often have carryover from other states. So I look forward to uh, seeing people. We even see them. Uh, this is a shameless plug. I even see them virtually. Uh, I obviously have a uh, um, license in uh, Washington, D.C., in the state of New York, in Michigan, in Nevada, in California, Illinois. So I can see them all there. So you do a lot of telehealth. You're a big believer in the telehealth idea. Well, especially for follow-up visits. So I do a lot of, um, you know, 15-minute type follow-up visits on people who are changing their health and behavior. They say that seeing me keeps them on track. I think I scare them. I don't (laughs) intend to, but that may be the effect. Um, So uh, all all five foot four of me scares them. But anyway, I I think... I think it isn't a, 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 as much as uh, they want to. They want to uh, 
um, show that they've actually done the things that we've uh, talked about. And so it's really bilaterally beneficial. I love it. You know, Doc, uh, you may be uh, small in physical stature, but when you stand on all the books you've written, you're like 17 <laughs> feet tall. <laughs> actually... If I stand on all the books, uh, I, we have 22 books. <laughs> See? I'll bet they're an inch apiece. So that's uh, two feet. So you're right. I'm about seven feet tall. I could probably jump and dunk if I was uh, still good. <laughs> oh, that's great. That's great. I want to get into this week's research, but I have two newsy questions I want to ask you about. One of them um, is happening in the UK, and it mentions a, uh, a world first. Uh, using lab-grown blood to um, try in humans. And it's a, uh, I hope you're pouring coffee and not in the bathroom, Doc. That's really... I am pouring coffee. I need coffee for this story. <laughs> okay, good. Uh, uh, lab-grown blood, <laughs> you know, sounds... I can't believe you can hear all those sounds. Everything. Quiet coffee pouring. <laughs> it's an art. Uh, if I hear a flush, I'll know you're lying. Uh, anyway, so this lab-grown blood, this sounds like a, a super science fiction miracle. And uh, what do we know about this? Well, believe it or not, back in 1969, I worked in a lab that both gave hooked up um, old rats with young rats and it was thought there was something in the young blood that make the old rats young. So the person I, with, I worked with, a guy named Carl Peck, um, developed a process for making red cells. So red cells are what carry the oxygen. The problem with lab-grown is you then got to regenerate the energy system and red cells don't have a nucleus, don't have a DNA controller. So they've got to do it solely through um, the energy transfer process in their, what we call the cytoplasm, the, the non-nucleus part. Very hard to do that. Um, that was the difficulty. So you could obviously give a infusion of red cells, um, an infusion of these lab-grown cells, and one-time infusion could in fact deliver oxygen, but then those cells are useless and you've got to get rid of them some way. Hmm. Um, in this case, what they hope to do is to have, have learned how to put enough mitochondria, those energy powerhouses, into the regular cell, not the nucleus, no nucleus still, but these, that they keep regenerating the processes for letting the cells stay intact. That is, giving enough energy to maintain the cell wall. Maintaining your cell wall, maintaining the proteins inside the cell without the waste products, jamming it up is an important part of the process. And then not generate a immune reaction against it. So this is a test, as you said, they're giving a small amount of these cells in the hopes that um, they will be not immunogenic. They won't generate an immune response and they will be able to deliver oxygen um, and to keep regenerating. So this is a wonderful process if it works. 
We don't know if it'll work. And it, it, uh, just think of it. So this could be on every emergency van. You wouldn't have to type blood. You'd be able to give this, these lab-grown non-immunogenic cells to someone to help them survive if they were in an accident or in a war, et cetera. Wow. Um, hopefully in an accident and not in a war. Yeah. But, and, uh, the, uh, and carry that vital oxygen to tissue and take CO2 away from it without the body reacting negatively. Um, so this is a, and when you think you'd say, this has got to be easy, dude. No, this is one of the toughest things in all of biology to do because it is trying to regenerate the energy inside a cell without causing a immune reaction. Now, take the waste products from the cell, regenerate them into useful products. This works. Imagine you could regenerate the energy in brain cells and all of a sudden not have dementia. You could regenerate the energy in muscle cells and be able to stay strong for your whole life. So this has great potential for us learning a lot about how to regenerate energy from waste products inside the cell and be able to keep that cell functioning even when its, um, if you will, own mitochondrial structure, even when its own energy structure has deteriorated into old age. Wow. And we are really at step one on this. We'll, we'll be talking about this, I hope, more and more as we get more details out of this very small study out of the U.K., I have to give you props, Dr. Roizen. When the uh, pandemic started and people began uh, quarantining at home, being locked down at home, you were concerned. You kept telling people, make sure you're taking care of your health. Make sure you're getting your regular immunizations. Make sure your doctor's visits are being kept up. And there was um, a difficulty in doing that, but people were encouraged by you regularly to do that and I, I asked you know why if they're staying at home and, and you said well if people don't keep up with the immunizations and doctor's visits a couple of years later we're gonna have problems and sure enough one of the big um, funeral industry companies SCI has announced that the funeral business is killing it no pun intended and they said it's not COVID related these aren't COVID deaths these are deaths from people who are dying earlier than they should because they didn't maintain their regular health regimen, all of the stuff that you talked about. So sadly, Dr. Royson, you were right on that one, and people just need to pay a little more attention, but I give you props for that. Yeah, no, and it's still going on. So there is still a backlog of people who have not done their normal prevention things including getting colonoscopies, including getting breast examinations, including getting their immunizations, including renewing their blood pressure pills. It's actually amazing. Getting your blood pressure pill is one of the easiest things people can do to radically make themselves younger. And we have over a third of the population not refilling the, their prescriptions hmm. and another third taking them irregularly. This is, I don't want to say it's ridiculous, but it is as ridiculous as it gets. It's a, um, I don't know how you call it, it's a wasted effort in medical progress. This is an easy thing to do. 
a blood pressure, you're, if your upper number is seven millimeters um, per uh, mercury, per millimeters of mercury above 120, for every seven it is, it's a year older you are. And for the bottom number, it's three above. Hmm. So let's say instead of 120 over 75, you have a blood pressure of 134 over 81. You're four years older than your calendar is just from that alone. Or if you want take it extreme, 148 over, um, if you will, 85, you're six years older from that alone. That's the risk of dying and disability, heart attack and stroke goes up that much. So it's an easy thing to do. Um, and uh, unfortunately, we got a whole bunch of people not doing it since the pandemic started. So be smart, people. Simple steps make big effects in your life. And speaking of simple steps, um, uh, upping my step count, my daily step count, even a small amount can help. Yeah, we know that about 10,000 steps or step equivalents. So this is not castor oil. If you don't like walking, you don't have to walk. You can do swimming. You can play ping pong. You can play with your kids. You can go garden. Everything um, counts towards step equivalents. And you can go to our, our web, if you will, um, greatagereboot.com um, and get the, the free trial on the app. And there's a step equivalent chart there that you can use. But it is Roughly a minute of activity gives you between 75 and 100 step equivalents per minute. Hmm. A little less for things where you're not moving your whole body like gardening, a little more when you, when you are moving your whole body like swimming. But the point is that this is sunshine. It isn't castor oil. But the ideal for decreasing all-cause morbidity the ideal for decreasing type 2 diabetes, the ideal step for decreasing dementia, for decreasing colon cancer, for decreasing breast cancer, for decreasing prostate cancer is the same number. You get a benefit till 10,000. 12,000 doesn't give you more benefit than 10 from preventing illness. It does give you lower cal. I mean, a, a trimmer body. You're able to eat more, if you will, without gaining weight. But 10,000 is where you prevent those diseases. So get and there. Just, to, yeah, the, just to give you the idea, compared to 4,000 steps, you're 67% less likely to die of a heart attack and stroke or have a heart attack and stroke and 70% less likely to die from any cause over the next 10 years if you do 10,000 steps a day compared to 4,000. And every 500 steps over 4,000, this study showed a extra and incremental benefit until you got to over 10,000. So let's all get the 10K steps, people. Let's just do that. Uh, so, so you should get a, a license plate 10K a day. Well, I have a license plate that says after one right now. It's uh, about free speech after the First Amendment. Everything else is secondary. So I can't, I'm going to have to buy another car, Doc. That's all there is to it. <laughs> Dr. Royzen ordered it. All right, uh, Doc, um, we have relatives who have had macular degeneration. And um, briefly, what is it and why are we living with it? Is there anything we can do about it? 
what macular degeneration is, is a degeneration of the nerves in your eye. And it is um, caused by, we think, inflammation in those nerves. Now, remember, the nerves of your eye are just like nerves in your brain, except they're exposed to some environmental things. So they get sunlight, very bad for the eye. They get um, smoke, again, very bad for the eye. So that's why we think those, and, and, and they're affected by all the other things that cause inflammation, such as obesity and, and uh, if you will, eating red meat and processed red meat and simple sugars, all the things that also will affect uh, your brain. So what's the best things to do? Um, well, if you've got wet macular degeneration, there are two stages. Um, roughly 19 million Americans uh, have dry macular degeneration. It, that progresses to wet macular degeneration where the blood vessels burst and you get edema and that um, is treated with both coagulation, that is uh, some medicines that are injected right on the retina, hmm. um, usually every two to three months or more often, and um, as well as some what you would call AREDS, A-R-E-D-S, vitamins. So there's some specific vitamins that show that slow that progression of wet. Dry macular degeneration, it is, and, and wet, it is omega-3 fatty acids. You know, we talk about eating salmon and ocean trout, um, sardines and anchovies. Those have omega-3 fats, as do walnuts and, and uh, flax seeds that are ground and avocados. Well, the ones that, the, the omega-3s that come from uh, those salmon and ocean trout, or what is called DHA, three-letter word, DHA, have protective effects of the nerves in, that sunlight could otherwise hit, as do things that are in colorful leafy green vegetables, lutein and zeaxanthine. So the, the five things we know that prevent against macular degeneration, one, physical activity, to a healthy diet, food that you love, that loves you back, three, omega-3 fatty acids, four, lutein and zeaxanthine, and uh, five is avoiding what we call unforced errors of getting in a smoke-filled room or vaping, things that cause inflammation acutely in your body. Hmm. Okay, so we, we stay active, we eat a little better, and we stay away from those things that irritate us. Uh, the one member of our family was a smoker, and I'm sure that smoke contributed to that irritation. So uh, th yep. there's so many things we can do that will help us all. Uh, Doc, I have uh, time for one more here. The big story around uh, our area, I live in Wilmington, Delaware, is that the children's hospital here has been overwhelmed with RSV, that uh, virus, the respiratory virus. And now there's a simple nose swab that might be able to tell us how bad it is for the kids? Right. So there's a triple pandemic in kids, RSV, the flu, and COVID-19. And in this study, 
um, that came out of uh, the Children's Hospital in Chicago, they found that using nose swabs in children who were in the pediatric uh, ICU, so these are sick kids, when they look at this, um, they find that there are some kids who have genes that turn on to fight the RSV, and those kids who turn on those genes, and you can tell it by this nose swab, um, get out of the ICU and survive easily. So it's the prediction of who can, will we be able to move out of the ICU quickly, who will uh, survive well, and uh, then obviously the, the question becomes how do we turn those genes on in the kids who don't have those genes turned on, and so that's part of the investigation is Will we learn how to do that um, either this time or next time? Will there be a vaccine that can do that? Will there be something else that can turn on those genes that fight, um, if you will, the RSV and uh, let the kids survive uh, sooner and better? I hope so. I hope so. I always learn so much from you, Dr. Royce, and I appreciate your information and input and I encourage everybody, uh, follow Dr. Roizen on Twitter. He's a really good follow. Dr. Mike, uh, just put in Dr. Michael Roizen. It'll show up. And visit thegreatagereboot.com and pick up the book. And let's all get to living a little bit younger so we can live a little bit longer. My friend, thank you. Safe travels. Let's do it again. Thank you. Look forward to doing it again next Wednesday. 